we titled it building our narrative of past or itihasa so this is somewhat a meta topic if we have to say because we are not actually talking of what is uh the existing narrative how do we counter it or things like that we want to take one step back and look at how narratives actually work and uh, how narratives are seen from a, a meta or philosophical perspective and then we will get into details as examples rather than trying to show our own narrative uh, by itself so to begin with uh, i had a few retrospective questions when i uh, thought about this topic the first question i got was what exactly did i learn from our history textbooks in the schools and colleges which i could not already uh, know or learn from uh, other sources let us say uh, there were a lot of story books that i had read uh, most of us would have you know done that as children our chitra katha is there then our itihasa sar the ramayana bhagavata mahabharata and ramayana pranali as itihasas and then we had these uh, folk stories that we hear uh, about vikramarka and a uh, lot of other uh, heroes and then we have uh, more rigorous content such as uh, what is produced by the voice of india konradel stasi taram koyal and people like that so different kinds of material uh, a lot of uh, material has been there none of this actually is formally history it may have rigorous content it may have scholarly content or it may have folk content uh, light content whatever but technically none of this is part of our history as we are taught now so what exactly has this history textbook taught me that i have not already learned from all these things i don't find much we have practically learned nothing i have to say yes there is a story in our history textbook also it says this 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 happened this is how we put the facts and things like that but that's where it ends the second question i had was why did my history textbook fail to generate any interest in me comparable to the story books i read the itihas i read or any other book i read a few more questions when i thought about this further now as a student of science we have uh, heard of lot of scientists we know max born we know einstein we know newton a lot of people people have put up their theories we had counter theories over time every theory gets refuted everybody knows this there are open problems there are closed problems there are solved problems but why are there no romula thoppers or odrich case in you know physics or mathematics so is it just that you know the subject of history is itself like that or is it done wrong if it is done wrong there should be some mechanism where it should be corrected you you already have a royal society kind of thing where you cannot have a bad theory but in history we can have bad theories 
we can have bad theories not just have them we can you know officialize them also and then why don't we have multiple theories of histories uh in our itihasas why do we have only two itihasas this was an interesting question for me because if there is uh, if we call something as a science or a scientific discipline it should have a theory that should be refutable if it is refutable it means we would have multiple theories potentially or one getting replaced by the other on the contrary we find only one itihasa it is not refuted or anything it is not even seen as a theory it is simply seen as knowledge of past and then we also know that this same body of knowledge as scholars also say it has been edited updated over time and things like that that also doesn't go through any significant revision of the core narrative it only gets updated with more recent content so this whole uh, system of how we have theories we refute them versus how we have this knowledge of past that is accumulated which only increases but it doesn't uh become refutable as a scientific theory there are two paradigms if we need to you know put them that way and then we also know that we have a lot of knowledge generated over the past we have millennia of past obviously and then there are so many different versions of that available in different so from different sources but why should we have to wait on any open problem of history of ancient history to be resolved for us to build our own narrative what exactly is the relation between them why could we not build our past regardless of where these theories are going so i didn't find very good uh, answer for this the obvious conclusion i uh, arrived at was we should be able to do that we should be able to build our narrative regardless of open problems and theories of past as we go into that uh, probably uh, as an agenda we would like to cover this would like to draw a brief uh, contrast between itihasa uh, and the historiography and try to put history in its place rather than trying to see past through history as the only available prism or lens and then would like to go into uh, the nature of how an itihasic uh, itihasic narrative looks like so continuing where uh, we left on the history a deeper question i had was uh, what exactly did history give us as a subject as a discipline it gave us theories no doubt it gave us theories of past did it give us facts maybe maybe not we already have facts and i didn't uh, come to know anything more about either vikramarka or uh, yudhishthira or any past king from our history text than uh, what any uh, you know traditional text gives but history definitely gave us some theories theories synthesizing the past saying uh, let us say take aiit 
what exactly did at contribute to human civilization in the last 100 years it has given a weapon for hegemony people used uh, that theory for uh, you know <laughs> nazism for instance and then we had this harmony a caste conflict theory has been floated negationism has been created there has been atrocity literature so a lot of narratives lot of theories lot of uh, propaganda that came out of those theories has been not really productive for the human civilization if i have to say that there has been definitely history did contribute a lot of positive content also in terms of pure facts but the theories of history have actually done a lot of harm and if i go back and see what has my itihasa given me it has given me a civilizational consciousness it has given me a sense of continuity the same yudhishthira and uh, uh, arjuna that uh, chanakya invokes shivaji also invokes bari also invokes the khalsa gurus invoke my present generation also invokes so i have a continuity and i have a civilizational consciousness that i derive from my itihasa and the character building obviously uh, what it is not a history textbook or a random collection of facts that inspires people like shivaji to become what they are it is basically the itihasa and then it gives me a structure for learning it is a pedagogic text it has given me how to understand the world how to understand my own life and how to put my life in perspective how my evolution can be brought about by learning this as a text so here we have a very clear contrast of what history gives us what itihasa gives us and if we need to arrive at any convincing answers we need to discard uh, you know rhetoric and uh, lazy conclusions like hindus lack sense of history obviously people compiled knowledge over millennia it's not without the knowledge of how to compile uh, knowledge of past the main question we need to ask ourselves is why did the itihasakaras choose a specific format for compiling that knowledge instead of another format let us say why did they not just focus on the dates and persons why did they focus on some narrative like what is visible in the itihasa so an inquiry into that will lead us to a better answer and as we go into it let us say uh, if we do a brief survey of what kinds of narratives we actually have uh, that are natively developed itihasa definitely we all know of it uh, ramayana and mahabharata are the two itihasas we know of and then there is a uh, different kind of narrative called charitra so this is usually visible in a very uh, local level the uh, chronicles are done for each dynasty each royal lineage the marathas have their own uh, the tuluvas have the gajapatis have and then the andhra kings have each royal lineage has its own pattern just the way megasthenes wrote for greeks we also had people patronized uh, by the king 
who wrote their uh, stories. Over time, these actually entered folklore. They became, uh, you know, songs in praise, uh, stories in praise of the kings and things like that. And then we have a Purana. Purana, uh, though the Purana scope is much bigger, uh, it has Sarga, Pratisarga, everything. Uh, the Manvantara and the Vamsha, these two parts actually link uh, the time-specific, region-specific uh, detail to the temporal, which is the Yuga. In turn, it turn, uh, links that to the eternity. So they, it establishes a continuity between the cosmic and the uh, lived reality. And in time also, it relates our uh, near past to the old past to the eternity. Then we have more uh, uh, colloquial, not exactly colloquial, but semi-formal content, which is this Tala and uh, Kula Purana. Then we have uh, less formal content, which is the Janapada content. So at different levels, uh, knowledge is available of the past. The question is, why did they not try to synthesize all these into one single consistent narrative? We can get into that reason. But before that, <coughs> the nature of history and Itihasa, if we contrast, history is literal. Basically, it talks about person, talks about event, date, time, and a place. These have to be accurate for something to be called history. If this is not, no. You can't call something history. That's the main problem with, let us say, Ramayana. Rama lived is our Itihasa, but when did he live? What exactly did he do? What was his time? What was the place? What are the events that are provable? There is no uh, conclusive data of all this. In the absence of all this, it can't be called history. So it is fair, perfectly fair to say that it is not history. Itihasa is very different from history. Whereas Itihasa is actually literary. It is a body of literature. It's Kavya. It's a, Ramayana is a Dhvani Kavya. Mahabharata is also a Dhvani Kavya. And it is symbolic. Obviously, it has a lot of poetic ornaments inside it. And uh, it is full of each uh, uh, symbol is full of uh, different levels of meanings and it is pedagogic. It is not a context-free text. It is highly contextual. The history primarily goes with the assumption of linear time. There is a past, there is a present, there is a future. This continuity is always attested in history. Whereas Itihasa sees uh, time as cyclic. So there are time cycles, there are older cycles. The newer cycles have more detail. The older cycles, there is a lot of compression of data into symbols. Literary information is not available. As we uh, document the near past, which is more relevant to us, where we need to know more details, we have more elaborate content available. As we go to the remote past, specific details don't matter much. 
what matters is the collective knowledge so there is a lot of compression of those details into a pedagogic structure which is uh, teaching uh, of the past or it it gives us a collective knowledge or collective experiences of the past therefore the introduction of content is done through pedagogy we put the known information through these symbols through these pedagogic structures to make something an itihasa whereas to introduce content into history we need to baptize the past into history by putting these literal details and there is a paradox here basically uh, in the itihasa the content that it is talking of it is talking of eternity it is talking of the spiritual content it is talking also about a lot of uh, temporal content but the narrative is unto human it is narrated as a story told by somebody to somebody and that somebody tells somebody else so there is a nesting of story one uh, a tells b b tells c c tells d so as we are reading this story it's as if somebody is telling us the story so we hearing the story from somebody so it is an unto human that's why i call it unto human it is telling us directly it is as if somebody is sitting beside us and telling the story so in that sense it is a very personal narration of an impersonal content whereas history does not have any personal narration it is basically uh, to whom so or it may concern this guy did this 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 is the history text this is how it looks like so it is uh, quite opposite to itihasa it is impersonal in its narration about a very personal content it is talking about persons in an impersonal way itihasa is talking about impersonal things in a personal way because it it has in mind its target audience coming to the nature of knowledge uh, or uh, if we have to say the epistemic uh, nature we have these two concepts called consistency and uh, completeness history aims at consistency and again this also uh, derives in a way from the critical method and how people understand the biblical content and things like that consistency is extremely important in abrahamism you need there has to be a final word everything else has to be in agreement with that final word you can have uh, in that sense only one history what is not agreeable with that history is not history whereas we have a lot of narratives parallel narratives each one is internally consistent two narratives may not be consistent with each other but both narratives have their own set of facts put together they achieve completeness this is how hindu knowledge ecosystem in general is if we take the uh, veda also there are so many recensions and there may be conflict in their instructions in their procedures a lot of things but each of them is internally consistent but put together is the complete picture same with the itihasa also we have many recensions for itihasa one says uh, you know this event happened the other glosses over that event but overall there is a completeness we achieve completeness and consistency by having diverse narratives it's very important to understand because the general idea is that consistency is a sign of scientific knowledge 
internal consistency within each narrative is as important at the same time uh, you know this there is this famous theory of uh, of godel that says no domain can be both complete and consistent so if it is complete it will have inconsistency there will be mutually opposing uh, statements and if it is consistent it is bound to be incomplete which means you cannot ascertain the truth status of certain statements within that domain if we need to achieve both uh, our rishis have uh, created this structure where you have consistency internally and completeness in the across the narratives so we have achieved both what is the goal of history goal of history obviously is to give a consistent narrative of the past to arrive at a realistic understanding as realistic understanding as possible whereas goal of itihasa is fulfillment of the practitioner that is the purushartha so that is why it is telling us uh, it is an unto human narrative it is telling us at the same time itihasa if we see we cannot say itihasa is uh, you know it is telling us the uh, lineages of past or anything obviously if we take only two itihasas are there ramayana and mahabharata are there they are talking of just two stories ramayana is talking of rama story and mahabharata is talking of uh, story of the kurus but it is encyclopedic in nature in that it has accumulated knowledge of all the past and up till that point up to ramayana time whatever is known is ramayana and from then whatever is known up to mahabharata that is a revised level of encyclopedia that is mahabharata it is encyclopedic in the sense that it has way too many subjects put into it there is a uh, mahabharata obviously is a dharma shastra ramayana also is dharma shastra ramo vidhavandara dharma uh, and then there is uh, jyotish in it then there is uh, rajaniti in it there is dhanurveda in it and there is adhyatma in it so th- there is no subject uh, that is not found in mahabharata or in the itihasa so many subjects are compiled into one consistent text that is the importance of an itihasa beyond this what is there in an itihasa because it is uh, aiming at purushartha is uh, the experience it creates an uh, environment of, of experience uh, for the reader so and for that there is a uh, structure the aesthetic structure created uh, ramayana and mahabharata both are kavyas uh, have beautiful poetry and this poetry uh, enables us to achieve a lot of things actually uh, putting it in a poem form one it has uh, beauty two it has a symbol uh, the poetic symbol which can intertwine different levels of expression by pedagogic what we mean is uh, as we said uh, it is uh, telling the reader it is teaching the reader also it, the primary goal of it is the message it is conveying in the sense that it has a story it doesn't say this is the moral of the story in a very explicit way but that is demonstrative so let us say there is a metrical code like a dharma shastra smriti it has a moral fact what the itihasa is doing is it is giving a demonstration through a story of that moral fact it says doing this 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 is the consequence seen by that person 
and this kind of character this kind of behavior gets this kind of result so that that is what we mean by pedagogy and lot of concepts are uh, you know if we keep uh, uh, explaining as concepts content becomes unlimited and seers having a huge civilizational experience over millennia they realize that it is impossible to put all these concepts through infinite amount of content so what they have created is this network of symbols which can reveal unlimited information through limited content that is the structure magical structure of the itihasa if we take rama rama is a human yes maybe he was a human uh, at the same time there is a, a astronomical symbol unarvasu uh, is rama similarly each uh, main character we know there is a uh, astronomical symbol associated with there is a star there is a constellation associated and it is at the same time a spiritual symbol also so ramayana uh, we know is a sankhya vidya right sankhya shastra is explained through the ramayana similarly mahabharata is a uh, collection of several vidyas one thing is uh, it says uh, all the, the adibhautikam adhijyotisham adhyatmam all these three levels are there in mahabharata this is uh, all very frequently said everybody knows this but how this is put in together uh, in a finite set of shlokas to convey this unlimited knowledge that is what is important for us to understand how narratives have to be built for future one principle involved in that is the uh, symbol obviously saying uh, uh, this can be a human symbol or this human represents this 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 ideas and the problem with that is it can't be consistent if we say this symbol represents four ideas and we narrate four events about that in all those four events those four ideas have to be applicable which is a non trivial thing i mean there can be lot of uh, you know ridiculous uh, conclusions that can be drawn so to i to make sure that does not happen is a non trivial exercise and poetry is used carefully to avoid all those things then uh, what we see today also is this icons we have lot of uh, civilizational icons we have uh, but more recent icons we see them more as human beings we know their limitations we know their strengths let us say the colonial icons are there we know savarkar gandhi ambedkar is there uh, then tilak arvind lot of people we know uh, their greatness we also know their limitations one thing that tends to happen is limitations weigh uh, very heavily on the uh, audience so even a small limitation small weakness in an icon results has very bad consequences so icons need to be heavily sanitized before they make it to itihasa and this is done very carefully saying this let us say take bhishma bhishma might have definitely had uh, severe limitations as a personality but at the same time being a bright man that he was the icon is so carefully carved out in a way that today we learn what is right 
and even the indirect lessons what should not be done we learn without seeing him as a villain so we definitely see him essentially as a positive icon with a few limitations definitely not the case with karna we he is shown as a negative or duryodhana and at the same time we don't mistake uh, bhishma for anybody like arjuna or krishna who were near perfect so that for any reader that gradation is very carefully presented it is not given as a flat space just tell this 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 is what these people did it is very carefully carved out saying this is how you need to understand the gradation of human character loftiness how it is to be understood so apart from itihasa we have this charitras uh, the reason why charitras don't make it to history we can discuss but primarily we do have charitras it's not that we don't have royal lineages have their chronicles but it is primarily hagiographic in the sense that it will have its exaggeration and more importantly it is narrated from one perspective it does not take into consideration the other side of the story there is no neutrality expected there at the same time it is internally consistent and many of these charitras act different uh, uh, let us say different lineages are there different uh, uh, at different times each of them have their charitras with their own exaggerations with their own uh, uh, unilateral perspectives but all these put together make a complete picture do they form history no because they are not sufficiently literal at the same time they are also not sufficiently neutral but do they have knowledge they have abundant knowledge they are sufficiently revealing for any uh, legacy of the civilization and what the uh, so how we can see this is these uh, you know the individual charitras are there then we have an umbrella called the itihasa that whole structure is giving us the perspective and what this structure put together is achieving is the civilizational consciousness it is giving us sufficient inspiration it is building our character uh, making us organisms uh, part of the collective organism which is evolving so the it is giving us lessons of the past in a way that i can synthesize my course of action for the future so that my actions are not inspired randomly but there is sufficient information and it is expanding my thought it is giving me a perspective of how vast my uh, legacy is what all the experiences my seers have gained over time my warriors have gained over time what are the choices they made in different circumstances what were their predicaments who uh, all could transcend those limitations and uh, show extraordinary uh, character that will help me make my decisions much better in my life both as an individual as part of the collective organism and it has given me countless integration motives it has told me how people have come together in the past we have obviously the spiritual the sacred geography is itself a grand uh, uh, integration motive which is uh, you know unique in india we have those jyotirlingas the shaktipithas all these stories are not just stories they have they live with us today as much as they did in the past so there is a living experience of that integration motive and then there is the desha there is the sampradaya there is the uh, kula there are 
several uh, ways in which people come together for specific purposes and this whole uh, picture i derive through my itihasa and my charitras so as we go forward we need to remember that it's okay there is a narrative there are narratives that we have that are that we are being taught countering them is not going to help me as much as building my story i don't have a narrative it doesn't matter what others say that is going to prevail whatever it can be true it can be false but that is going to be there because i don't have anything of for me to say and primarily the past century of hindu activity mostly has been reactive we have definitely countered a lot of uh, false theories there is no doubt but and we have also posited the uh, alternate theories but we don't still have our narrative as a stop gap we have resorted to fiction there is historic fiction there is uh, you know this folklore that we are building which is important in its own place but each narrative what kind of narrative we are building we need to have very clear goals for each of these most importantly without an umbrella narrative like an itihasa it is very difficult for us to synthesize our charitras so broadly these are the patterns of responses we have seen one definitely we have seen counters to prevalent theories we have also seen some alternate theories like oit we did see a presentation of evidence counter evidence and things like that it's increasing with time and then we have uh, another line of effort which which tries to correct the perspective within already known information it doesn't try to counter the theory per se but it tries to correct the perspective within the theory let us say we don't question the antiquity matters we don't question the it or anything but still we can make a lot of corrections within these things we can take a sample of how this is done let us say uh, we have this historic narrative there is, let us not uh, refute it let us not say any of it is false let us just take it on its face value still the story we are given let us say the hindus were invaded several times then we have you know names alexander invaded then we had great kings like ashoka akbar tipu then we had empires like the mogal empire the lodi the bijapur whatever so we had battles for all this within known information all this can be countered with a counter perspective we know that empires have life cycles every empire rises and falls so there is a rise of rise and fall of mogal empire just like there is a rise and fall of vijayanagara there is a rise and fall of maratha there is a rise and fall of ahom and then we have uh, icons like rama yudhishthira vikramashunga we, we are just taking a perspective native perspective instead of an outsider perspective saying these are our people we are defending the invasions we are not taking a neutral perspective and then we had empires like the kakatiya the vijayanagara kondavid maratha you know the home and the bundel there are countless kingdoms we have we can also counter the narrative of uh, you know losses or uh, lack of uh, military strategy or whatever for all the list that is given hedaspes we, we lost the battle panipat we lost talikota we lost we don't have to counter whether hedaspes was a loss or a victory panipat definitely were a loss but if we 
just put the sheer uh, win loss ratio and list out the battles that we have encountered or we have faced Lujain or Navsari or Puri, Bhopal, the Raichur battle, Hemus battle, Bajis battles. There is a, you know, and Venkatapatraya's battles. There is a huge list of our victories. It is just within the narrative also, within the theory also, we can entirely reverse the perspective by simply putting the facts together. And with that itself, we can change the uh, perspective about our past. And this is definitely doable within the textbooks without having to go, you know, a lot of uh, fundamental changes or anything. Obviously, that is required and that is happening. But all this doesn't have to wait on that. We can start changing these things with, regardless of where the big theories or open problems uh, that have not been solved for a century are going to go, whichever direction they are going to take. And within the bigger frame, uh, at the level of Itihasa and the big picture, have there been any successful example? Definitely, yes. Uh, so here I would like to quote one uh, not very popular example, Vishwanatha Satyanarayana. What is not important is uh, the chronology he took. He based his chronology on uh, Kota Venkatachalam. But what he did is he generated an Itihasic narrative. He did not do a Charitra. He wrote basically three series. Uh, he called it novel. Uh, he called them the novels and the uh, fiction stories. So that's not the important part. The important part is how he built that narrative. Puranavaira is essentially an Aitihasic uh, narrative. Uh, so uh, he has three series. Uh, said There is a Puranavaira of the uh, Magadha royal lineages. He has 12 books. Then he has six books on Nepal Rajavamsha and six books on the Kashmir Rajavamsha. These put together become his story of the past after Mahabharata. The main uh, gap we have is until Mahabharata is one thing, but from Mahabharata there is uh, a pretty vast span of time which is not put in proper perspective. There, there are a lot of facts available about them, but there is no one coherent picture about it. So what he is trying to give us is that coherent picture about this past, these few millennia of the past. He puts the symbolism, primary uh, symbol he takes, just like the anchor in Mahabharata and Ramayana is Dharma. His anchor is Dharma in the Puranavaira series also. He posits a symbol called uh, Saindhava or Jayadratha. So what, he continues from where uh, Mahabharata leaves, the Brihadratha lineage uh, at the Magadha. And he says the Saindhava, uh, who was killed uh, in the Mahabharata battle, he takes that as a symbol and says this represents Adharma. And subsequently, in every uh, story that he builds later on, that Saindhava image keeps coming. It's a symbol. He says it is a symbol. Uh, just like a symbol of Adharma, there are Rakshasas and things like that. This Saindhava keeps coming. He takes reincarnation. He moves from one body to another body. And uh, it is essentially internal, uh, let, let us say, uh, for the first few uh, uh, lineages or the centuries, that Jayadratha is within uh, Bharata. Eventually, Jayadratha expands out of Bharata, then he represents all the invading forces also. So it's a very powerful symbol we need to understand. 
it helps us put this whole story in a perspective or the whole past in a perspective what all has happened and is happening today he starts with the uh, brahmatratha lineage from the magadha and then uh, uh, gives the story of uh, pradyota shunga then the nanda vamsha then the maurya uh, shunga so that uh, whatever uh, uh, lineage list is tested within the purana he takes one lineage per one lineage he takes one hero and narrates that past and through that past he actually counters all the known theories also so let us say when shunga does ashwamedha he uh, exercises uh, his diplomatic relations up to khorasan and so basically he is saying this is our uh, geographic geopolitical territory then this is the sphere of influence then this is the sphere of cultural influence this is the sphere of uh, or this is the sphere of trade activity he is establishing all that based on historic detail obviously uh, but he is narrating in a pedagogic way he is saying uh, and within that he brings in all this he uh, brings his dharma shastra he brings upasana shastra he gives a lot of spiritual details uh, the nature of spirituality how experience will be and uh, how the positive and the negative forces work at that plane jayadratha sends a lot of uh, he does a lot of prayers then people on this side try to counter them he they won't even understand what is happening then they resort to the means of the enemy to understand the enemy so it is both strategic as well as it is giving details of how spiritual uh, forces actually work and some of the details we can relate very easily to itihasa if we are well versed with the subject uh, jyotisha he doesn't concentrate too much he gives a bit of detail but jyotisha is definitely not the anchor he uses but he ha- he puts in rajaniti he puts in the dhanurveda the yudhaniti he puts in the political dimension he puts in the social dimension the how the varnavyavastha worked how different traditions played out in the society how the charvaka work how the bauddha work how the what influence jaina had how vedamata itself had flourished or struggled so it is having in a way all the aspects of, of what aitihasik narrative is it has that pedagogy it has it is encyclopedic it is uh, uh, giving us a coherent picture of all the past it is doing all that definitely there are limitations one it is explicitly fictional two since it is trying to build its symbols it is a great first step in that direction but it is not a case of frozen symbols as mature as we find in the mahabharata because this is a first step it needs to synthesize further before they get really crystallized into symbols that everybody can relate to and the biggest limitation obviously it is prose because it is not poetry it will come with its own limitations mahabharata being an itihasa being a kavya it kavya lakshana is extremely important it is with kavya that the uh, symbol can really get conveyed at a different level in prose it is not very easy but at the same time he had to take it to people so he put it in prose but in these stories he clearly very clearly establishes how the civilization or the culture or the knowledge has flown out of the subcontinent whereas 
people have been there has been influx there have been waves of invasions the hunas came the shakas came lot of people came in invading at the same time the culture has flown outwards that's that's something he clearly establishes the nepala rajavamsha he uh, explains a lot about charvaka so the dhurta charvaka and sushikta charvaka the nature of charvaka how it uh, how a charvakan society lives and uh, given that nepala is primarily a, a mountainous region he relates their lifestyle to how charvakas would have thrived in kashmir rajavamsha is slightly more complex because it's uh, more dense with spiritual symbolism bhramaravasini if we take for instance that story is about lalita aditya it goes into his previous life and tells what kind of upasana he did how he actually ended up being a chakravarti but upasana shastra is there uh, in the kashmir rajavamsha as well as the purana everywhere that theme is there but it is more dense in the kashmir rajavamsha than the purana vaya then veipadagala is another uh, uh, magnum opus which is a stand alone novel basically uh, it is not a historic one but it is definitely aitihasik in the sense that he is trying to put those symbols he is teaching us how to create that symbolism to narrate our past and different perspectives about the uh, different aspects of that the uh, social the spiritual the uh, you know the historic all these put together how do you put all these things together and how do you generate a narrative that he is teaching through that book i think it's translated into english also outside that uh, he has a few books on the charitras also but these uh, these three series put together is the aitihasik narrative he has and then uh, the very recent uh, past he has some charitaka kind of text also vallabha mantri for instance is about sardar patel and uh, pulula satyagraha satyagraha of tigers basically that is a uh, semi historic narrative it is there is nothing fa- uh, non factual about it but it is just that the style of narration is partially historic it is about the satyagraha done against the abrahamics that we see around the independence time so it's essentially historic content but he has put it in a format that helps us to understand how we build our narratives so this is how i see the way forward for us we need to first synthesize a method of aitihasik narrative building we need to understand what itihasa means and so there has been a lot of time gap after uh, ramayana to mahabharata then we felt the need for another itihasa so we had recompiled knowledge put another itihasa but since mahabharata also it has been now fairly long we need to restructure things we definitely need another itihasa it also reflects a watershed movement basically saying we need to recompile our knowledge it is not just about that itihasa it is about saying all our known knowledge we have to restructure into some more coherent format and this itihasa is reflective of that format it is it's not a standalone text and we will need to introduce uh, alternate methods of studying the past saying this these are the different ways in which we understand the past we do need to generate an itihasa it's not a day's work it's a 
few generations of work, but it has to begin somewhere. And we definitely need to make Itihasa a civilizational brand. Everybody knows, uh, you know, we go a century or two centuries back in time. Our Itihasas were our identity. And going forward, we need to own them up, saying we need to synthesize our Itihasas and make these our unique uh, features. And the details in Itihasa, the way we position them, they are going to definitely help us in the geostrategic affairs also. Let us say the Uttarakuru or the Uyghur region is there. Or our spheres of influence that we had politically or culturally or spiritually or in trade terms. Rather than a uh, you know, defensive perspective, saying that this uh, right now the way or if not right now, until very recently, we have been very infaced, saying that our territory is our world. We don't see beyond India's borders. But that's not how our uh, ancestors were. They had seen the world uh, with a much more open eye, saying they had exercised influence based on their uh, what they could. And they had much healthier interactions with other countries. They had also politically expanded to outside the subcontinent, both on West as well as in the Southeast. West definitely got shrunk over time, but that doesn't uh, still change the fact that in the past we did expand. And along with the Itihasa, the umbrella of Itihasa, we do need several charitras built. We do need charitra narratives. And we also need to put a method methodology saying uh, this is how the features of charitra are going to be. We do also need to introduce that as an economic discipline. We don't have to compete with history or anything, but we do need to make bridges with historiography, saying history talks of this uh, kind of knowledge, whereas Charitra talks of this kind of knowledge. It has this its own consistency and completion, completeness considerations. And this is a format of knowledge, a valid knowledge. Just the way any Smriti cannot conflict, contradict Shruti, but you can have several Smritis which don't agree with each other. We can have several non-conflicting uh, charitras, non-conflicting with the itihasa. They can mutually disagree. Let us say the Vijayanagara and the Gajapati charitras do disagree with each other. It doesn't matter. As long as they are not violating the anchor of dharma as enshrined in the itihasa, both are valid in their place. And we, uh, keeping this in mind, we will have to generate our charitras for the future. Or for the future in the sense, for the usage for posterity, but uh, compile the knowledge of the known past, uh, use these charitras into a more uh, systematic scheme. That's all I had. Uh, be happy to take any questions. I would like to ask you a question uh, regarding our Itihas into the uh, curriculum which is more mainstream you know uh, because we do have a lot of uh, schools shouldn't it be more related to our own itihas and stories which are basically more about morals and ethics rather than anything else uh, so this blatant uh, you know uh, in fact when i made my recommendations on the education policy uh, itihas is an encyclopedic text and teaching one encyclopedia having several subjects rather than let us say six subjects, math, science, English, social, all these things 
if we can teach all these six to one subject it is going to give a holistic perspective so it's not about morals or religion it is about our ability to synthesize the known knowledge into one coherent text that we can teach the kids so can we synthesize our today's maths today's science today's english into one book it doesn't have to be mahabharata throw away mahabharata throw the itihas of the past can we put our encyclopedic knowledge today in a format that can be taught to the students so that they get a holistic perspective that is the most important thing then obviously the knowledge of the past and the correctness all these things will come the anchor is going to be dharma and all that but our ability to build that uh, uh, text is what for that we need to understand our pedagogic structures and uh, build that text so let us say an itihasa of the future yeah in the last slide you mentioned that Abraham, the problem with abrahamic narrative is that they have an already decided narrative say bible whatever and every narrative should fit into it so that is the problem more or less we are also saying the same thing whereas charitras can be inconsistent mutually disagreeable but yet they have to fit into the grand narrative of itihasa how different is it from biblical idea it is different because biblical idea does not believe in multiple conflicting narratives consistency for them is unilateral you can have four itihasas actually you have already we have several recensions there is an avataraha there is a dakshinakya they conflict with each other but they are internally consistent but they both agree with something bigger they both agree with the shruti and they are not agreeing on a literal fact with the shruti right in the on the literal fact they are disagreeing or agreeing among uh, different versions where they should be agreeing with the shruti is the anchor that is the eternal knowledge or the unchanging principles the unchanging principles are not so whatever temporal is there we will have uh, different perspectives it is understandable so consistency on the literal matter is not what we seek that's the primary thing i think all of the points you raised uh, you know there's one thing to note that the gurukula system has systematically been decimated right over the last 70 years does that have a role to play in your opinion in 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 the knowledge gap because a lot of things that uh, you know points that you raised even i wasn't aware of being a student of, of this in my own way so i just wanted to uh, you know find out your thoughts upon that and the second question is kind of a little different uh, towards the last part of your talk you did mention about engaging with the world so as to speak but again uh, in that aspect also what happened in ancient times is that we were the advanced civilization right and we control the narrative in that perspective i think what has happened is you know post uh, being under the british influence and especially post partition where successive governments have lost the plot we are perceived as a backward uh, society so our ability to exert our influence is fairly limited so i just like to know your thoughts about that as well thank you Uh, I'll take the second part first. <clears throat> Our ability to exert influence depends on how we see it. It's definitely uh, limited, both from material perspective and how we are. Our mindset is currently. Uh, 
but definitely there is a lot of scope let us say uh, there are a lot of subjects whether it is the social sciences whether it is the spiritual subjects a lot that can be synthesized based on indic views which has not been done so far where india can still lead the world we have seen uh, you know after the industrialization or whatever what uh, what the west currently is seeing its ability or inability to cope with the you know wahhabi wave and all that their governance models their so their perspective about the open society and its enlightenment ideals are bound to be under question can india synthesize the ideas required for a future governing model or a future social order this is still a very open question whoever picks the opportunity and delivers it for the future he is going to lead the world so the opportunity is very much there with us whether our leadership sees that and takes that opportunity is a different question i mean it's for time to tell but it's not definitely limited in my view we we definitely have ample scope to reverse the things and be leading the world again coming to the first part of your question the gurukula i don't know if uh, gurukula format is the one it's basically the kind of pedagogy and the nature of text that we have how we compile knowledge how we teach knowledge that structure is what matters the most obviously that method uh, uh, let us say training the memory first then making sure analytical skills develop that whole methodology uh, of the tradition requires to be adopted the schooling format and others they are temporal they can evolve with time but i would see more as secondary thank you sir for that because you know the the syllabus has always been an issue right most of our syllabus is kind of hand me downs from what existed uh, you know decades back and it's not really evolved right it might have evolved in the sciences perspective but from a philosophical literature and even historical i think history is where it's really appalling where you know there's so much of a information gap or other a misinformation campaign right which i think when you were, when you talk about wahhabism and the influence of it it's been you know the narrative has been pretty straightforward it's like zeroing in on a few facts right and they keep you know hammering it down again and again and again i think that's where we are missing the ability to uh, i would say propagate that narrative and that was the reason i asked because i said you know having a systematic uh, change in the syllabus system here is is going to be a really uphill task that's definitely there i mean uh, so the education policy uh, and how it uh, consequences are going to be we need to see but i definitely see that the syllabus is going to change now whether it's going to be satisfactory whether it's going to be uh, rich with the pedagogy of tradition and all that that we'll need to see or how open it is going to be for uh, laying a foundation for a bright future that we'll need to still see Uh, so you mentioned about symbolism of poetry and there are some very interesting examples of how uh, symbolic protest or something some ideas have been incorporated into poetry and folk songs uh, i know of a few could you please share any examples real life examples of that so let us take the sundarakanda that name itself is it's a sundara beauty right so it is saying that a whole episode or the chapter is a book of beauty 
and uh, why it is a book of beauty is it has put in all the rasas in it there is sundara there is viraha there is raudra karuna everything is put in together and uh, at the same time it has that uh, you know in the mantra shastra anjaneya is called sundara so that beauty happiness and rasa have been wired in a way intertwined together that experience is coming just from that sound so dhvani of that kavya symbol is obviously there once we say uh, going to the detail of how it is narrated let us say how anjaneya seeks out sita what uh, his thought process is elaborately narrated in that excerpt what is he thinking not just what has he done but he thinks this 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 and then he tries let me search here let me search there and then uh, so the, through all that the all the three levels of meaning is conveyed obviously that uh, you know that uh, worldly wisdom is there but all this is at the same time the knowledge of sankhya and the vedanta that is also put into the same symbol and mantra is also there so that maybe is a is one example i can recall immediately <clears throat> 